Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with Dr. Daniel Moore. He is a psychologist, and I am super excited about the topic we're gonna to discuss today because this is very dear to my heart. He, we're gonna talk a little bit about his background and working with you know some more holistic kind of natural treatments to mental health and psychological issues. And this is something that is very, very dear to my heart because I think we're seeing, I think we've always seen it, but I think we're seeing a rise in, you know, a lot of pharmaceuticals really being pushed as the first line of defense, as opposed to, you know, maybe it should be second, third, uh, fourth option. And a lot of people are having issues with it. A lot of, I, I know personally know people who have been very much affected by some of those treatments and who have become addicted and not so good. So without further ado, how are you doing today? I'm <laughs> doing well. Glad to be here. So please tell us, uh, tell my audience a little bit about your background and uh, yeah, why this is important to you. Okay. Um, well, I'm, a, like I said, I'm a psychologist and I work with uh, families and indivi- individuals and couples and, uh, do a, a psychotherapy, but uh, I guess I'm also into health and wellness. That I, I think we to perform uh, at our maximum ability. It's important to be healthy and to eat uh, well and to have a healthy lifestyle and sleep and all those affect uh, mental health, including exercise and uh, your environment as well. Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, so, so what, what have you seen in your practice? Have you, how have you seen that those other, cause I think people don't really understand how integrated all of it is. And I think we were in a world where it's so fast paced and people want kind of like an instant, uh, instant gratification, instant solutions, instant cures. And they don't look kind of at the big picture. And we're such integrated beings that of course, you know, it is all connected and our, our health is not compartmentalize the way one might want to think it is. So what have you seen working with your patients? Well, some uh, everybody's different. Some people are very knowledgeable. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people don't even know what a GMO is or yeah. uh, they're not very, uh, and, they're, and, you, and a lot of people uh, that I deal with are not very wealthy. So they have to eat whatever they can get. And usually that's the uh, GMO products and stuff like that. And uh, they just don't realize that how big an effect it can have on their health and their well-being. 
Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of need for education and also to, to meet them where they're at and just make incremental steps towards a healthier lifestyle. And a lot of people realize they have to change something. So, uh, so that's, a, that's a, a plus. Yeah, that's a good start. So since you brought up GMO, what have you seen it, how that affects people? How does that correlate to their, you know, mental and physical well-being? Well, I think all, everybody's different and some people can tolerate GMOs just without much uh, problem. But over time, I think it builds up and it causes a lot of inflammation. And of course, inflammation is the number one cause of all uh, chronic medical problems like uh, arthritis, high blood pressure, heart problems, all that can be tied in some way with inflammation. And so the goal would be is to decrease the inflammation as much as possible. And a lot of times that means getting on board with a, in a non-inflammatory diet. Mm -hmm. Sure. And sometimes GMOs can be directly tied to that inflammation and sometimes they can't. But uh, so everybody's, you know, needs to look at it individually on what works for them. Right. So what are your thoughts on uh, with I, I think we're seeing the, the thing that really concerns me, I, you know, certainly with adults, you know, being pushed uh, pharmaceuticals as a first line of defense, I think is a problem as well, but especially when it comes to children. And I, I, I feel like we're seeing them, them really pushing that for children. Uh, there's, you know, all sorts of labels and diagnoses that I think are pretty widely applied and, you know, where other, regardless of whether those diagnoses are accurate or not, then, you know, there might be other ways to handle it. So what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yes. And I think, you know, you know, medicine is, is just uh, so widely out there promoted mm -hmm. that it's hard for them uh, not to be affected by that. Even uh, teachers, you know, they want their, those kids that are ADHD on medicine and they're not willing to wait for a, a good parenting technique or to use a, uh, uh, techniques such as self-monitoring to come along because they just don't have the time or, or the resources to implement those things. Right. But I think the uh, ADHD attitude, I think there's a magazine like that, but they've come up with a great list of alternative approaches for parents that are interested in alternative uh, techniques that have been uh, scientifically researched and validated. Oh, that's awesome. What, what was that? That was ADHD attitude? Yes, ADHD attitude. I, it might be ADD attitude or ADHD okay. attitude, but it's a, a magazine for parents. It's a, uh, like a support uh, site. Great. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely find that and post the link because I think that would be really great for, for parents to, yeah, for sure. And then so there's more, uh, there's more uh, people pushing for alternative techniques and a lot of parents don't like their kids on on medicine and stuff and if they can find another approach yeah they, they would welcome that but uh, other parents they just don't want to take the time they just want to pill for their kids so their kids can do well in school sure what what are some of the uh like negative impacts of that i think it you know as i said i'm really concerned of it for children because you know they're still developing and it you know, so to, to put them on something that they're now dependent upon for so long, I, I think could have great consequences down the road. 
Well, you see it in the extreme cases. Say you have like a four-year-old that's really hyperactive and uh, they're on high doses of a stimulant medication. Well, it will stunt their growth. It will stunt their brain developing. And uh, that's why if they have to be on medicine, I recommend if they can, uh, vacation holidays from the me medication or weekend holidays or something, just time enough so that the body can catch up mm -hmm. on that growth that the stimulant's causing them to uh, miss out on. Sure, for sure. What made you uh, start to go into a more holistic kind of approach? That's not typical for a psychologist. I mean, no, it's, not very well, uh, it's not very well sanctioned by insurance companies and all. No. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, I, I just like, I'm a seeker of truth and I just want to find out, you know, the, the truth of things and, and, and find out the, the positive and the negative of things and to weigh that out and find a, 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 the best approach. And I try to find a parsimonious approach to helping people and things that'll be the most effective with the least amount of uh, cost. Sure, sure. So what was kind of the, like the, the turning point for you that made you start to seek out other paths? Well, maybe it was uh, some things that my mother always told me when I was growing up. She said, I'd rather pay the doctor bill than the, the doctor bill. And so she made sure that we ate well and that we, uh, we were healthy minded and, and things like that. So I guess I've always grown up with that. And then, so when I studied in school, I always looked for the uh, things that uh, keep you healthy. And fortunately I went to school in Tucson, Arizona. So they had some uh, uh, famous uh, uh, medical doctors that were into integrative medicine even in, in the 1970s. So that, that was fortunate as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what was, what stuck out for you in uh, the integrative medicine? Well, that you, uh, in addition to the mental health, there's things like uh, for depression, there's sunlight uh, uh, that can be really helpful for some people. Yeah. And also uh, exercise and, and keeping uh, healthy is great for anxiety and de depression. Okay. I knew this one lady that was so anxious that uh, she could perform better if she uh, rode on her bicycle 20 miles a day. That's how keyed up she was, but it was helpful. And if she didn't ride or do that exercise, she was miserable for that day. I, I understand. <laughs> I definitely relate. Yeah, that the uh, fitness is definitely a passion of mine, and you know I think a lot of people don't understand how much of it it's really for my emotional and mental well-being. Um, there's also just an element of, you know, if you take on a physical challenge, it's something tangible and concrete, and that's very empowering because once that's done, you feel like you can take on other challenges throughout the day, and there are always going to be challenges throughout the day, right? So, yeah, so it's kind of like one of those things where you know, you've proven to yourself, you already have done something that was hard and now you can do more hard things. <laughs> yes. So. Unfortunately, uh, the field has gone to, uh, uh, has become aware that sleep is so important on mental health and your ability to focus and concentrate and your moods are directly tied into the quality and the quantity of sleep you get. And most of us in America are sleep deprived. We don't get enough sleep. Very true.
Very true. What are some things that you uh, advise for people to get better sleep? Because I think a lot of people don't, it's not just the amount of sleep, it's the quality of sleep, right? Right, right. Well, there's a, a lot of people in our society, un, unfortunately, that uh, have sleep apnea and aren't even aware of it. I came across this uh, friend of mine that had sleep apnea. He didn't snore at night, but yet he had severe sleep apnea and he didn't do well in his studies and, and his ability to focus. And that can be, you know, that was directly tied into his uh, sleep apnea. So first to rule out, is there any obstruction in your airways that's keeping you from getting a good night's sleep? Uh, a lot of people that are anxious have a lot of these anxious thoughts that keep them from falling asleep. I found that I have this uh, self-hypnosis tape that's just wonderful. Uh, done by Edgar Casey Foundation, and it just really will relax the mind and help them get to sleep. And so it's my my one of my best sleep aid, especially for those that are are having trouble quieting their mind before they go to to sleep. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people. I think, and I think there's a rise in that in the past two years. <laughs> and then just simple techniques like sleep hygiene. You can find that information on the internet. And you go down the checklist and see which ones you're doing well and which ones you're not doing well, then correct the ones you're uh, not doing well and see if that has an impact on your quantity and quality of sleep. Sure. What are the things that you see the most of uh, currently? Well, like I see the most of uh, children with uh, ADHD and also with uh, uh, children with learning disorders. And then I uh, do a lot of work with the uh, uh, veterans with PTSD and, and things like that. So it's a lot of anxiety and depression cases as well. And sometimes uh, early in my practice, uh, I would see a lot of learning disorder uh, children that had no idea that they had a learning disorder. Their teacher thought they were just ADHD. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes they were even depressed. Uh, but once the uh, learning disorders were identified, uh, they did much better. But schools nowadays are, are much better at identifying learning disorders than what they used to be. Interesting. Do you think there's a rise in that? Or do you think that it's more just now we have better tools to uh, assess it? I think we have better schools to, to assess it and to treat it within the schools. So I'm, I'm glad to see that. That is, that, yeah, that's great. What are some of the things that uh, are done to help those children? Well, uh, they they do a lot with, um, well, to me, the best thing is if they can get them on the computer and get a, a neurodevelopmental approach to, to their problems, that would be great. A lot of them have specific interventions. They have classes designed to help them uh, learn and then achieve and try to get them caught up. The tier one, tier two, tier three programs really good because they're different interventions based on how severe the deficit in learning is. And so they're catching them a lot quicker than what they used to be. Used to you had to fail and then you get tested and, and get treatment, but now they're identifying much earlier and trying to address it young, at a younger age. And so that's helpful. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, definitely. Um, and I think that a lot of times that, like you said, a lot, they, at least I remember people would have no idea and they were, you know, as soon as there's some sort of a diagnosis, they just want to kind of slap the label and then put them off into, you know, either on a medication or in a room. And 
that's really not helpful. It doesn't serve them. Right. So, yeah. Now, one thing I like doing with uh, learning disorders is uh, neurodevelopmental techniques. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people don't like the term of neurodevelopment, but I don't know why, because it's a natural right. technique. It's just like when you're learning, when you learn to ride a bike, you just change the structure of your brain once you got that balance and those uh, training wheels could come off. So, and I believe you can uh, train uh, frontal lobe abilities to mm -hmm. train people uh, how to concentrate better and to develop their brain so that they can uh, do better in school. And to some uh, teenagers have trouble with algebra and they can do simple uh, arithmetic, but they lose their ability in math when they hit uh, long division. And th that's usually caused by a, uh, a lack of sequential memory. They have other types of memory, they just don't have sequential memory. So they can't remember steps. So once they, uh, and so that they can't, so that they don't know how to, they don't remember the steps in long division, and they certainly don't remember the steps in algebra. And some uh, states require you to pass the algebra test to get your high school diploma. And that's probably the number one cause of uh, youth not being able to get uh, their high school diploma because they can't pass that algebra test. And if they just had and developed sequential memory, they would be able to pass the algebra test. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think that there is a huge decline in memory in general as a result of technology. Yeah. And uh, frontal lobe issues as well, a yeah. decline in that because of the technology. Yeah. I, I mean, I noticed it just, you know, when I was growing up, they had the, those big uh, calculators that came out, right? That that was the, the big advancement. <laughs> um, but it really did, uh, you know, lead to deterioration of memory and of, I, I think, sequential memory and like uh, logical uh, deduction because you no longer had to go through all those steps. You know, you just punched it into essentially a computer and it did that work for you. So you were, you, it's, it's like now nobody knows, uh, very few people memorize cell no, phone numbers because you just punch it into the cell phone and that's it. And, you know, when I was a kid, if I heard a number once, I memorized it, you know, so. Yeah, I think people would be shocked if they looked at uh, what they were teaching in school in the, uh, in the 1890s and in the uh, 19, early 1900s versus what they're teaching in school now, I think people would be shocked. What, what would they see? They would see uh, a lot less vocabulary. People use a lot less vocabulary than they do, they do now. Mm -hmm. And everything is much more simplified and designed to be a lot quicker. And mm -hmm. you know the paragraphs in the books are, are way shorter and the sentences are way shorter. And Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's just a, a big difference. Yeah, for sure. Why do you think there are so many uh, learning disorders? I feel well, like they're increasing, but I know you said that that might be partially due to the 
assessments, and that, well, that might be possible, but. A long time ago, they, they found that uh, if they could, uh, if a child grew up in a home that was domestic violence, they, that it increased their risk significantly for learn, uh, ADHD and learning disorders. Huh. So, and I think a lot of kids nowadays aren't, they're not in, you know, really stable homes or they're not really into a, a good nurturing environment right. that, that is healthy. And, yeah. You know, if you look at what kids eat today, it's almost all sugar. Yeah. So be, you, you had mentioned GMOs, sugar. How do, how does the dietary uh, intake affect people's uh, psychological makeup and their mental health? Health, sorry. Well, to get brain growth, you need a lot of uh, fatty acids. And if you're not getting a lot of fatty acids in your diet, your brain just cannot grow and develop and, and do the things that it needs to do. So, uh, you know, the omega-3 fatty acids are very important for brain development and neural development. And, uh, to, and then you have to stimulate the brain. You have to uh, tell the brain what you want it to do. And kids get a lot of uh, development as far as uh, video games, uh, <laughs> but they don't get much uh, broader than that. Mm. Yeah. The, in, yeah, I, I think that video games, I'm glad they're getting at least that because I think video games do involve a lot of strategy. Right. So it requires some sort of uh, foresight and uh, strategic planning, but yeah, but they're get, what, what they're getting in video games, they're uh, reducing in actual reading. <laughs> And uh, they get bored away easy. Mm, yeah. Their, their ability to concentrate and focus for extended period of time is, in, in my opinion, is a lot less. Yeah, that's very true. I think that's true of adults as well. Right. Yeah. Do you think that that's contributing to uh, one of the things I personally see, but I'm curious what you're seeing? I feel like there's a huge rise in anxiety and depression, especially over the last two years. And think that's, you know. Right. And they did. They, did studies and they found that anything over 21 hours a week of uh, video or screen time, doesn't matter what kind of, if it's a video or television, just so it has a screen, uh, it was uh, correlated with increased anxiety and increased depression. Wow. You wouldn't think hours. something so fun that people really enjoy would cause depression, but <laughs> it appears to be that way. Do, what do they know what it is like is it the the light is it what what do you think i don't know i think uh with social media you're comparing yourself to somebody's ideal self and stuff and you're not really getting the real picture and then you compare <laughs> and i think that has part of it to do with it but i just think uh being in a sedentary environment and just and not uh, getting in touch with nature and the uh, negative ions that you need and, and that to, to really have a, a healthy. And they found that in this research that, that it didn't matter what the activity was, just so it was, didn't involve a screen, it was associated with not being depressed and not being anxious. Wow. So it could just be something in completely solitary confinement, kind of just as long as it's not on a screen. Right, right. That's really interesting, which that's, that's why it makes me think it has something to do with a uh, frequency right, being emitted be. from the screen, um, whether that be the light or I don't, I don't know. I don't know what other kind, but to me it would indicate it's 
because it's it's not about the interaction the, or lack thereof if it could be any activity so yeah that's hmm. i think people are on the screen for a lot more than 20 hours yes most yeah. people are not only the kids but also the parents yeah for sure for sure and i wonder what that does for uh, yeah for the children who are who are watching that with parents yeah, and a lot of people, you know, they they escape, they try to escape oh, you're devices, and, and some people even get addicted to them, and one way to get addicted to something is using that as their only coping skill, so if, if something's, uh, uh, they feel upset about one thing, and then they go to this uh, one thing for uh, their ability to cope, then they are... Uh, and that's the only source they get addicted to that. And they can escape reality through that uh, device or, or whatever. So it's good to, to learn to develop many coping skills, a wide range of coping skills. So when things go wrong. What are some coping skills that you would advise people? Well, for uh, focus and uh, concentration, I really like meditation. I don't think you can beat meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe that meditation will get you into an alpha state and a lot of people are in a beta two state with when they have thought coming after uh, thought and so you can get yourself into an alpha state and and learn to keep that alpha state and the, that way you can be focused yet calm I think that's a really great intervention uh, of course related techniques sort of like yoga and tai chi those are all really good uh, techniques for self-control and and getting yourself at peace. Uh, of course, I like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is uh, be aware of what your thoughts are and taking control of your thoughts instead of your thoughts taking control of you. Mm -hmm. I think that's real helpful. For sure. And again, uh, just making sure your lifestyle is as good as it can be and make it make incremental improvements in your lifestyle. What, how would you advise people with that? Because I think people hear that and they, they get very overwhelmed. A lot of people don't know where to begin because unfortunately, especially in America, most people's lifestyles are not as optimal as they could be. Right. I think uh, a good place to start is with meditation, just to, for them to meditate on how they would like their lifestyle to be the ideal self. And then uh, if they do that every day, pretty soon they're going to find that things just come to them to make their lifestyle that way. Mm -hmm. And that way they don't have to do a lot of, you know, being tense on let's make it happen today, but they can just ease themselves into it and, do, and then observe the benefits, observe the symptoms that go away and, and how much better they're able to concentrate and or achieve their goals and be more functional in life. Yeah. I know there's a, um, a practice of, uh, of, because when you're talking about meditating, almost like visualizing where you want to be, um, there's a practice of future authorization where you kind of write out what you, your future, your ideal future self, right? Right. And that studies have shown that to be incredibly powerful. Yeah, especially if you do it again and again and you just keep mm -hmm. uh, doing it on a regular, consistent basis. Yeah. Why, why do you think that's so effective? And I actually think it's not that easy. You know, I, I remember, I'll just share a really quick story. So I think it's relevant, but I was a gymnast growing up and they would have us visualize 
you know, our routines, you know, sometimes, I mean, obviously you would do the routines, but sometimes, especially just before me, you don't want to wear yourself out. So I would sit and actually visualize myself and try to visualize, visualize myself doing the routine perfectly. And of course you always have the, uh, those moments that are kind of difficult, like that might, there might be that spot where you tend to mess up. Right. And it, it was amazing to me because so often in my visualization, I would mess up at that spot. It was really actually very challenging for me to visualize myself really doing it seamlessly and perfectly. Um, why is that? What is? Well, they've done studies on, on this kind of uh, stuff. And one of the studies, they took a, a basketball team and divided mm -hmm. them up into three groups. One mm -hmm. group, they had them do free throws every day for half an hour a day, 30 minutes a day uh, practicing free throws. And they measured everybody's ability to do free throws before they did the group uh, or this uh, experiment. And then the second group uh, where all they did was for 30 minutes was sit down and visualize themselves making okay. uh, free throw shots. Yep. And the fourth or the third group didn't uh, do anything. They just, uh, they didn't do any uh, working on free throws at all. Or uh, so after a, like a month, they measured everybody's ability on free throws and the ones that practiced every day improved by 24%. Mm -hmm. The group that did not do free throws, but it visualized them doing uh, free throws improved by 21%. Mm -hmm. And the group that was, was a control group, they just stayed the same in their uh, free throw abilities. Right. Amazing. So I think there's there's truth to that uh, saying that, you know, the the mind doesn't know the difference between reality and what's imagined. Right. And unfortunately, especially nowadays, a lot of people are imagining negative, frightful things like the stuff they're exposed to on the news. Mm -hmm. and, and so that creates even more anxiety. And then when something comes close to happening that they visualize, then they they get even worse uh, uh, consequences to their physiology. So I, I believe that every thought affects every cell in your body and the negative thoughts affect your body negatively and the positive thoughts affect your body positively. Mm -hmm. So to be healthy, we need to think a lot more positive thoughts than we do negative thoughts, but other, most people have that in reverse. They think a lot of negative thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, you mentioned the news. I, I, I think that that's by design, <laughs> you right. know, right? <laughs> Fear is the, the greatest uh, marketing tool and the, the cheapest as well. So. <laughs> so how would you advise people to combat that? Because I, I, that I do see. I see people, you know, especially the stuff that I deal with. And I talk to people about, you know, a lot of things that are not not so comforting and it, people will say to me Courtney it's not that I so, some people some people think you know they just don't agree or they think you know it's craziness but so other people will say to me Courtney I, I it's not that I think what you're saying is wrong but I can't handle it I just don't want to know it's too much so but I don't think burying your head in the sand is a, I, I don't advocate that e either so what how do you advise people to deal with this anxiety of you know, the state of the world and what's occurring and what's around them. And yeah. Well, when we uh, try to control our mind, we got to realize that uh, some things we worry about are important and some things are not important. And some things are in our control and some things are not in our control. Mm 
So if we just list out all, all our worries, we can uh, X off all the ones that, or ignore all the ones that are not important. And we should also do the same thing about the others that are important that we don't have any control over because there's nothing we can do about it. Mm -hmm. But the ones that are important that we do have control over, we can make out a plan on how to address that problem and then follow that plan. And once we have that uh, plan to follow, we don't really need to worry about that either. Mm -hmm. Unless we have, I'm sorry, say the last part again. Well, there's a, there's a good, uh, great book that one that, that I really like that's simple to read that it's called Love is Letting Go of Fear by Cheryl Jampowski. And it's sort of like cognitive behavioral therapy and condensed. It's just mm -hmm. really good and a quick way to learn the techniques. And, and I recommend that people read the book and then after they read it, to read it again until what the book says is part of their lives. Because it's a great way of living. And, and it says, yeah, we can live in a world full of love or we can live in a world full of fear. They're both, they both exist. Mm -hmm. but we can choose what world we live in by our thoughts and our actions. Yeah, I love that. I, you know, I was actually, I was on a podcast recently, and I was talking about this and I was saying that, you know, I think the opposite of fear is love. And I think right. that that's not typically what people think, you know, people think courage or they think, uh, yeah. And I, I, you know, courage is usually to uh, persist in spite of the fear. You know, you may still have that fear, but you continue to, to forge ahead regardless. Whereas love, I think it's it's so powerful. And the the analogy that I use, the example I used was like if you have a child and they're hanging off a cliff, even someone who has like a genuine phobia of heights, you know, they're they're terrified, their love for that child is going to overcome that most likely. And they will go and, you know, pull their child up from off the cliff. And, you know, that's the the direct opposition. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if my uh, screen is probably on my end. I, I'm getting some, uh, I don't know what it is, but can you see me clearly? I, I can see you. I do see a little bit of flickering. So I don't know if that is uh, your internet stability or. I don't know. That might be. Let me see. <laughs> well, I don't know if that didn't help any. So. No, it didn't. <laughs> but. Uh, I, I, it's okay. I can still hear you and see you. It's just okay. we're getting a little bit of a, you know, interference. So All if right. it's okay with you, then it's it's fine. Yeah. So what was your last question? Oh, no, no. I, I was just saying that, uh, you know, I think that it's the opposite of that love is the opposite of fear. And the analogy that I used, I gave an example of, uh, you know, if you had a child who was hanging off a cliff and the parent may be terrified of heights, you know, have a, even a phobia. And most likely their love for that child would still overpower and they would go and reach to pull their child off the cliff. And that is a great analogy. That is a great analogy. I try to, uh, I like using, uh, make it even more simple that uh, mm -hmm. all emotions can be uh, dichotomized into two categories, mm -hmm. fear-based or love-based. Mm -hmm. And some of the things, the motivation behind our behaviors, are they fear-based or are they love-based? And we usually do a whole lot better if we concentrate on doing things out of love as opposed to out of fear. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Do you think most people do things out of fear more than out of love? Oh, definitely. We all are, are subject to that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Right. For survival reasons, right? Yeah, wired into our uh, ancient biology. 
And especially in our in our parenting, a lot of times we do things out of fear in parenting, which is not the best. Mm. And if we would approach it out of love base, then we'd have a lot more success. Interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Well, one of the my favorite parenting techniques is uh, transforming the difficult child by Howard Glasser. Okay. It's a very positive approach. And Howard Glasser believes it's also a neurodevelopmental approach. So it changes the structure of their brain over time through their relationship. Mm. And so you're always uh, focusing on the positive, what the kid's doing right. And most parents focus on what the kid's doing wrong. The kid can be really good and not get any attention, but once they mess up, they get that uh, attention. And so they keep messing up in order to get the attention because some kids, they don't care what kind of attention it is, just so it's attention. Of course. That's what they're after. Yeah, for sure. But if they can, if you can dry up your attention for their negative behavior and but really pour it on when they're being positive, then we'll see a lot more positive uh, behaviors from our children. And that's what wow. the, the book is based on. I love that. Yeah, that's great. But I think I think that the parents do it. It's it's a I think they do it out of fear, right? Because they're seeing the things they don't want to see in their child. Yeah. And so therefore they're trying to reprimand them for those things so they don't repeat it. But, but of course, if the child's seeking attention, then it doesn't matter what kind. So, yeah. So you can uh, just imagine what you want your child to do. Mm -hmm. And as they, as they approach that, then you give them uh, your attention for that. And so mm -hmm. it just changes the whole dynamic of the yeah. parent and child relationship. Yeah, I would imagine it would. What do you think uh, are going to be some things that we will see in uh, general, like mental health and uh, you know psychological uh, makeup moving forward? And what are you know some of the good things, some of the bad things, and what are some of the ways that we can uh, enhance optimal output? <laughs> Well, uh, unfortunately, I think their politics play a, a too large a role in mental health. I mean, just too much. And, and if we can just get the politics out of it and stick with the, the scientific research and stuff and look and focus on what, what works and stuff. And uh, unfortunately, that's not the case in the United States. A lot of uh, studies don't get funded because they don't uh, measure up with the politics at, at the time. So, uh, so I think uh, people need to really take responsibility for their own health and, and, and look closely at what's being presented in, to them. Yeah, absolutely. Right, uh, all, something like 99% of all scientists uh, support those that have funded them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so <laughs> that, that unfortunately makes for a very poor controlled study. So. That's right. <laughs> so, so when the outcomes on the study, you got to take that in consideration too, because if you're, you know, they they found that if you're like for one technique and against the other, your yeah. study's going to the results are going to favor yours and not favor theirs, and even even if it's been shown that both techniques have the same outcome. Sure. What do you think are some of the things that? Uh, are driving uh, politics uh, in the research currently? Well, I think you... for a number of years, uh, lots of years, there's uh, been a tendency to 
you know, get away from uh, natural, healthy stuff and go into the quick uh, profit-based stuff like uh, glyphosate, for example, just weed killer, uh, and not pay attention or, or not even give adequate studies to the, the health benefits of glyphosate in the human body. Uh, they found that uh, glyphosates are now in children's, the majority of the children's urine because they're eating so much of the cereals and stuff. And, yeah. I'm and, you know, and I, and really, and fortunately, there are uh, a lot more support for if somebody has a need to have a gluten free diet or a grain free diet, there's a lot more resources now than there ever has been. been. And I went to Walmart the other day and my wife found four alternative toothpaste uh, that did not have uh, fluoride. And years ago, that was like impossible to find at a Walmart store. Yeah, no, that that is encouraging. And yes, there there has been a rise in alternative, even, you know, like deodorant that doesn't have aluminum in it, you know, that used to be impossible to find. And right. yeah, there's a lot more of that sort of thing. What are some of the impacts of glyphosate that you've seen? Well, I think it, uh, I think, well, on the rats, it was tumors. And I think, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, kids are now getting diagnosed with cancer. And it, and the the rate of cancer is just skyrocketed. It's probably not just the the glyphosate. There's probably other contributing factors such as the uh, electromagnetic fields that are out there. Sure. And alters of DNA and all that kind of stuff. So we just we just don't realize what kind of polluted world we live in, based on how it was 50 years ago. Absolutely. I, I'm looking for this. It was a, uh, what was it? Okay. Um, so yes, the, I, I had recently read this and this was fascinating. It said that if you have gluten issues, there's a molecular mimicry is a phenomenon where the structure of gluten protein gliadin mimics the structure of the thyroid enzyme transglutaminase. And there, I think a lot of people are having really bad. Yeah. Right. I mean, a lot of people are having thyroid issues and that, that makes sense. And also the rats say, so they had like, uh, forget the exact numbers, but like 60% uh, developed tumors. The other 40% developed uh, chronic illnesses like diabetes and heart disease and stuff like that. Wow. And we're seeing a rise in that in children as well. We are, unfortunately. And, and Which, children with diabetes is just terrible. Yeah. And there's there's no reason for that in children. It's right. uh, I mean, I, I think there's not too much reason for that in adults either, right? Uh, right. It, that, that can be mitigated. But with children, it's really, really unfortunate to see. And the real unfortunate thing that I feel is uh, the autism spectrum disorder. Or some mm. people say one in 50 or one in 134, where in the 1980s, it was one in 200,000. So we just have an epidemic. But if you look at the, what's the cause of autism to this day, they still say, we don't know what causes autism. And when you say, we don't know what causes autism, you're doing nothing to prevent autism. Right. And it just, what, are, what are some of the things that you think are contributing? 
I think uh, I like the uh, the theories of like Diedrich Kleinhardt. Uh, I don't know if he's still around, but he was a, a, a functional medical doctor and he tried to treat uh, people on five different levels. The physiological was one, only one of the levels, but he believed that it's a combination of genetics and electromagnetic uh, waves. And he says that if you look at the incidence of or the graph of the incidence of autism, it uh, parallels the development of uh, electromagnetic fields in our environment. Interesting. So he, he believed that at, at conception, if you had the right genetic uh, makeup, that uh, there was an alteration of a gene that caused the body not to produce uh, glutathione. And glutathione is your major um, uh, detox system in your body. So uh, they did a research year decades ago and found that 50% uh, of the childbearing females had enough mercury in their system to be harmful to their fetuses. Wow. So these children are being born with um, mercury overload. The shots used to contain mercury in and the vaccine used to contain mercury. And mm -hmm. so you have a, a child that cannot get rid of the mercury because of the glutathione, then it just sets them up for things like uh, being on the spectrum and things like that. Yeah. And I have a lot of clients that said their kids were uh, uh, functioning fine, normal development, even talking, and then they get the MMR and then they have an immediate cognitive decline. I've heard a lot of that as well. Yeah. A lot of my friends who have children have had that experience. Yeah. Very, very unfortunate. So what do you uh, recommend for, is there any way to increase the glutathione production and to help mitigate against some, because I, I, it's not just the injections. I mean, we're, you know, bombarded with toxins and, and metal overload in our environment and our food. Yeah, and I saw, I think that if you have a, I, I kind of like the uh, nutrient uh, approaches like uh, chlorilla is a, an algae, a single cell algae that connects yeah. well to heavy metals and takes it completely Great. out of the system. In the old days, they used to take uh, chelating uh, uh, substances that would uh, take the mercury out of the brain or the other cells of the body and deposit it in the intestinal tract. And that would cause all kinds of gut issues and stuff like that. So right. uh, fortunately we're getting uh, beyond that. And so there's a lot better techniques to use that even parents could use and use with their children at home. And there's special ways to, to find out if there's a problem with uh, mercury. You can't just do a blood sample. You first have to do a chelating device and get the, the, the heavy metals out of the uh, body tissue into the bloodstream and then detect to see if there's mercury or not in the in the body. So uh, so I guess functional medicine is really good at these type of procedures that a lot of doctors don't aren't educated in medical school uh, because they're funded by the farm pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, so uh, but functional medical doctors, fortunately, are medical doctors that also 
have other training to, to and they use terms like healing the body instead of treating the body. Mm. I like that. Yeah, for sure. And fortunately, there's a lot more functional medical doctors than there ever has been. Even in Mississippi, where I live, we used to not have any functional medical doctors in Hattiesburg. And now we have four or five of them. So that's, that's a good, a good thing. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Um, I know. So I moved to Tennessee and uh, there's only two states <laughs> in the country where naturopathic licenses are actually illegal. Um, wow. And it's Tennessee and West Virginia. And it is because Big Pharma owns them. So, you know, Vanderbilt is kind of a, a hallmark of the medical uh, industry here. And uh, I, you're probably fam familiar with the uh, Flexner report of 1910 when uh, Rockefeller hired uh, Flexner to do this report, essentially to uh, promulgate the petrochemicals at the use of petrochemicals uh, in pharmaceuticals and then to uh, do away with any, to basically defund any naturopathic or holistic uh, medical practices. So we saw a huge turn. Uh, around that time in the medical industry. Yeah, and I think that's a, a tragedy and it, and it creates such a monopoly on wellness and it's just uh, a shame and and most of us are ignorant about it. We have yeah. no idea. Yeah, so I think it would be great if there was a uh, return, you know, but with, with a hybrid because there, you know, there are some, there's so, so many advances in modern technology, modern medicine, lots of discoveries. Uh, and yet we, instead of being able to capitalize on all of those and merge it with some of the ancient techniques and uh, natural kind of practices, they've kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is, but they've, uh, they, you've lost a lot of the value in that by, you know, superimposing all of these uh, artificial uh, kind of mechanisms on top of it. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, in Mississippi, uh, acupuncture was illegal as well. I think it's, uh, there's some conditions you can do acupuncture now, but it's a, wow. there's a double blind study of the effectiveness of acupuncture over pain management. Interesting. Yes, and so, it, so and a lot of people aren't aware that the effectiveness of these treatments, right. and uh, if you can do a double blind study and show that it's effective, the last step, you know, that's your, that's really good outcomes. Yeah. And then I think some people, you know, they get a little stigma with, uh, well, why was it outlawed then if, if uh, it's so effective? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Well, and a lot of times you can trace the money to understand why. That's right. I, and I think it's not just financial. Uh, I, I think there is a, an incentive to create a, unwellness and disease in order to foster dependence, dependency and, con and for control for those who want to control people. People who are unwell, uh, who are mentally and physically unstable uh, and dependent are much easier to control than those who are healthy and sovereign. I would agree with that statement as well. Unfortunately, it, uh, they make things that can correct that illegal and they make uh, things that promote it very legal and very uh, uh, and, and well received. Sure. 
Yeah, that 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 is very unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, that's part of why I do this because mm-hmm. I want to give people the information so that they can, you know, best mitigate against that and best to uh, help themselves to be, you know, their healthiest and most optimal states. I think if we can unite and do it in a loving way mm-hmm. and with love as our motivator, I think we'll get a lot farther. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I would agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's really interesting to me is uh, I, I've talked to some people and I've, I've talked to some functional medicine doctors as well, who have said that they have noticed a direct correlation to toxicity and certain uh, psychological disorders, you know, things like, you know, anxiety, uh, depression, uh, and even, you know, some more uh, extreme kind of pathological conditions. And they've noticed that there were things that came up like metal toxicity, mold, uh, you know, and it turned out that the toxins were creating what looked like psychological disorders. What are your thoughts on that? I agree with that. I think there was a study done on astronauts where were taking, uh, they were exposed to uh, their rocket fuel and it was causing them to have symptoms of bipolar disorder. Wow. That's fascinating. And uh, around here in Columbia, there was a, it was a super fun cleanup and it was Agent Orange. And uh, it's been linked to a lot of bipolar disorders and uh, genetic abnormalities in the in the in the offspring of the, the people exposed to that ancient orange. Wow. Because what they did was to clean it up, they just put it in the, it got into the water supply. Interesting. Yeah. So it became much more uh, rampant. Right. I, I think it's really interesting. I think it's really important because I think a lot of people don't you know, as you're saying in the beginning, a lot of people don't understand how integrated we are as humans, and they don't recognize that there could be a physiological component to what looks like a psychological issue, you know, it could, and it could actually be causing that. And so they're looking to things that are much more emotional or much more uh, circumstantial, uh, and not recognizing that there could actually be just a physiological and you know, I think that again, I, I hate to be the, uh, you know, sound paranoid, but I, I do think that that is kind of by design. I mean, we're being poisoned from every angle, you know, it's a, it's in our air, it's in our food, it's in our, uh, you know, the, all the radiation that's around us. And so. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. And that's why I try to make my environment as, as healthy as possible. I have a zero filter, which takes out all impurities mm-hmm. and uh, I try to eat healthy and I try to do things like the detox programs, like uh, the, the uh, drinking uh, celery juice in the mornings and stuff like that. And, and, and try to monitor. Now the problem with uh, toxins, especially if you're, if you're, if you're, depression or your anxiety or your bipolar is caused by a toxin you go to a doctor that's giving you more poison to treat the the thing that's that's was caused by toxin in the first place so to me it makes no sense it just you know i define uh uh food as when you take a cup full of it it doesn't kill you then it it must be okay but if you take a a cup full of any of these medications chances are it's going to kill you 
And so that would be called, in my ter simple terms, a poison. Sure. Yeah, for sure. So what are your thoughts on the people who have been taking these? Because I think a lot of people are, are just, they don't know, they're ignorant. And so the doctor, they tells them take X, Y, and Z. And a lot of people, a lot of people are just on a cocktail of things. And now they're dependent upon those cocktails. So that, and I think now though, there's one of the silver linings of the past two years, I think people are starting to wake up and realize that, you know, big pharma may not always have their best interest at heart. And so they're, they're starting to realize that maybe there needs to be some, uh, some shifts in their thinking and their way of living, but that's not an easy shift to make. So what, what do you recommend, recommend for people who want to transition off of some of these medications? Well, I would recommend that they do it very safely. Um, you know, there's a lot of people with like bipolar, for instance, they're notorious for not taking their medicine and they get into worse problems than they started out with. Uh, so I don't like the people that uh, get off their medicine and they have nothing to replace it with. Mm -hmm. So I think the, um, a better approach is to develop the, the skills that you need or the diet that you need or the uh, detoxing that you need and, and then get things uh, uh, going in that direction. And then when you're ready, you, you talk to your doctor and get things lined up that this is what you'd like to try. There's some safety measures that if the, the, the symptoms return, this is what you can do about it. Or there might be some nutritional things that you could do to minimize the risk of uh, some adverse effects and go about it in a very safe and gentle and, and, uh, and it may take time. But I think that's what functional medicine is all about is meeting where they're at and then uh, giving them tools so that they won't need to be on their medications for the rest of their life, that they can eventually get off of it and be stable and functioning as well. That's great, yeah. What are your thoughts on trauma? Well, trauma causes a lot of problems. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, I was doing some uh, neurofeedback and this lady had experienced a traumatic, a very traumatic event. And we were doing uh, some SMR training on, on the brain waves. And the, the feed out just came out like this, just a, a real jagged, uh, uh, something really jagged came out there. And I said, well, that's like what we get when we, when someone's having a seizure, that's exactly the pattern we get. And she goes, yeah, I was having a flashback. Wow. So we were able to pick up on the, on the biofeedback thing, the flash, when she got a, uh, a flashback. So, you know, it, it does in the brain, it does cause, cause real changes to the brain. And then, uh, and also with, I look at the energy that's uh, this often, like I, 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 I like the theory that they say that there's a, uh, when you have traumatic that event, that some energy gets trapped in you and needs to be released. And I think that's why EMDR works so good on- EMDR? EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Uh, EFT works really good. Uh, so those are like, EFT is a, it works sort of, it uses the acupuncture points but the ones that are associated with emotions. And so that they can process the, the blocked uh, 
energies and, and thoughts and get the brain to reach an adaptive level of functioning for that traumatic event. So when the brain doesn't, hasn't been able to reach that adaptive level of functioning, uh, there's gonna be some problems. It may be physiological problems. It may be emotional problems. It may look like uh, psychological problems, mm -hmm. but there's gonna be some sort of problem. And so it's, it's like there's this uh, therapist and uh, she's a psychologist and all she deals with is chronic pain. And she uses a technique called journal speak where they'll, she'll have them write out their childhood traumas and their current stressors and their personality. And she makes, lets them write those out in bullet points. And then when they're ready, she has taken them to take one bullet point and write out everything that comes to their, their mind. Just write it out. Just put it on a piece of paper or electronically, just get it out. Wow. And then she, she says, after it's out, you can do whatever you want with it. You can throw it away, burn it, whatever, mm -hmm. because it's your junk. And they, she does that to all their bullet points. And when they're uh, through, many of them, uh, she didn't say exactly how many, but many of them no longer have pain. They still have the bulging discs. They still have the things that were sure. the doctor was telling them was causing their pain, right. but they no longer had to uh, suffer with that pain. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I do think there's a great book. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. And yes, uh, yeah, I, I do think we store so much. But what's really fascinating to me about trauma is that uh, there are two things I wanted to address with this. But one is that you can have like they've done studies with twins and, you know, they both experience exact same thing and one is traumatized by it and the other is not. And so Right. So it has much more to do with your response to the event. It's not the event itself. I mean, we could look at something and it, you know, most of the population may agree that would be a traumatic event, but somebody might not be traumatized by it. And I think that's really fascinating. And I, the second thing I wanted to uh, ask you about is, uh, are you familiar with new German medicine? New German medicine? Yeah. I don't think so. Now, okay. uh, heart is uh, from Germany, so I don't know. What if the new German medicine has anything to do with that, but I'm not familiar with it. No. Okay. Well, the, it's one of their kind of like a core tenants is that a lot of disease stems from trauma more mm. than from, you know, like some sort of a, uh, yeah, event or contagion or yeah, so forth, so on, but it comes more from the trauma and uh, yeah, manifestation of a trauma. It's been stored physiologically. Yeah. yeah, I think there's been some uh, research. Well, the, all the people that do psychoimmunology, I think they would definitely agree that our immune system is compromised by the traumatic events that are unresolved within us. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um, and I think it's really interesting now because we live in a world where, you know, they've done so much research on... Uh, under the name like shell shock therapy, but they're, you know, they've done a lot of like a trauma-based mind control. And I, I would kind of argue that we're all experiencing that to some degree. And so, you know, some people are going to be more affected by it than others because other people have more of the triggers in place to be, uh, to be triggered <laughs> by, you know, whatever mechanisms they're using to create traumas, uh, mass trauma. So 
Yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot more mass traumas than there ever has been. I think so. Yeah. So I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on how people can uh, bolster themselves against that. And so they're less, you know, affected by some of the mass trauma that's being executed. Well, I certainly like journal speak. It's a great technique. And uh, it'd be nice for it if everybody did that, mm -hmm. uh, just write out all their traumas and then and then pick one and keep going with it until they're all done. But another way is uh, emotional freedom technique, which is EFT. And it's a, a simple and fast way to deal with trauma. And there's uh, YouTube videos on it. It's been around since like the 30s, 1930s, and made real popular in the 1970s and stuff. So it's, and it just takes seconds to do. Okay. And, and you can get resolved uh, from these traumas of the past. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that would be really great. Do you think that if more people uh, were able to resolve trauma, we would see less... Uh, less disease both psychologically and physiologically definitely we'd be healthier uh yeah i just want to say uh my views on trauma is that yeah. we have a traumatic event and in our lives and then we think about it we feel bad we think about it we feel bad we think about it we feel bad and we keep thinking about it we feel bad but then once we do that it's like a, a light bulb a light switch goes off and we think you know maybe that's a good thing that happened to me because and the brain fills in the rest so that when we think about that trauma it no longer produces negative physiological responses we we, we have a, a positive physiological response from it we become survivors we're no longer victim of that trauma right. we're stronger because of that trauma but there's some traumas that don't get to that adaptive level of functioning where we think well maybe that was a good thing that happened to me uh, and those are the traumas that deal us uh, that gets stuck and does harm to the body. Sure, sure. How I, I think that's really interesting. You, you're it, it's about the the perspective of being a victim of it or being empowered by it, right? right? And I, I think it, but I think it's so hard for a lot of people to move from that victim mentality. Right. Why do you think that is, and how do you think what people can work on that? Well, a lot of times in our society, we promote the victim mentality and especially, uh, you know, if somebody has PTSD, well, they got to keep having it or they're not going to get their disability any longer. And so it becomes really difficult for them to get over PTSD. Sure. Uh, but I think they'll be a whole lot healthier, a whole lot happier if they do the best they can at work, you know, step at a time overcoming their traumas and just gain in, uh, in functionality so that they actually do become stronger because of it instead of weaker. Absolutely. There's, a lot, there's a lot of inspirational uh, examples of people that have their leg blown off yet they're participating in. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Marathons and things mm. like that. So 
you know, that they probably wouldn't have been in a marathon had before the accident, but now they, because of the accident and the, their desire to overcome it, but now they're in a marathon. That's a, that's a great survivor. And it's, and it's sort of like in uh, inspiration to everybody. For sure. So it's really interesting that you bring that up. When I, I, I have a show, it's called Wim, What is Movement? And we explore ways that movement helps people to heal emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And when I had first come up with the idea for the show, I initially was thinking that I would do a show centered around athletes with disabilities. And I was thinking, you know, it would be really inspiring for the audience and really gratifying for them. And so I talked to a couple of, I had a couple of friends who were athletes with disabilities or acquaintances. And so I started asking around and just, you know, kind of talking to them, getting their perspective on why they do what they do. And what really struck me was that all of them didn't move in spite of, they moved because of. Okay. Right. And I, and that's when I came up with my premise, like all human beings are designed to move the ways in which we do are our unique creative expressions. But I thought it was so fascinating and so powerful because it was the fact that they had whatever challenges it was that they had that motivated them to prove to themselves that they were capable, that they could do more than was expected of them, that they could, you know, beat the odds and overcome. And it was really because of that they were so uh, impelled to do what they do. Yes. Kind of reminds me of a friend of mine that uh, he was uh, getting ready to retire and he's a carpenter and he had severe back pain. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, you know, the house I have now will not accommodate a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to build up my house while I'm still able mm -hmm. and I'm going to build it with uh, wider hallways and wider door frames so I can get a wheelchair in there. And so that's exactly what he did. But by the time his house was completely built, he no longer had back pain. And to this day, he's not in a wheelchair. And that was over 10 years ago. Wow. So what, what alleviated his, uh, his pain? It was the movement and keeping working and stuff. And, and, and one of the worst things you could do to back pain is be sedentary. Yeah. Yeah. I tell everybody with back pain, they should deadlift. <laughs> and they, <laughs> they get very upset with me. <laughs> but I'm like, really, I'm, I'm actually dead serious. <laughs> I, you know, don't go for like super heavy lifts, but, and work on your form. But even if it's really just bending down and just doing, going through that motion, I think that that's most people who have back pains a lot or any kind of pain, a lot of times working through that is going to really uh, benefit them and strengthening all those muscles around whatever is causing, you know, the infringement. Yeah, and there, fortunately, there are lots of resources available today that there wasn't before. And one, one is like Treat Your Own Back Pain. That's a great book. And it helps you to, to define what part of your back is, is, uh, has a problem and uh, what exercises based on the location of that uh, back uh, problem to do to, to get over that back pain. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's another case where people, instead of working through it, you know, they're, they're pushed uh, to take, take some sort of pills and then they, then they end up with another problem. Right. That's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What are some of the effects you've seen of uh, people taking 
pills versus uh, more holistic? Like, what are some of the side effects that are really well, common? Unfortunately, this is a very big problem in our uh, society. Uh, yeah. You know, pain medicine was never approved or never recommended for long-term uh, use. But a lot of these people get on get back pain, and then they get pain pills, and they're on pain pills for years at a time. And then they become dependent on it and they become addicted to them and their quality of life goes downhill very much and it's destroying their families like living with an addict and they're sleeping in the daytime and they say well it's because i got chronic pain and stuff yeah it's a sad thing and and you know the pain medicines especially the opioids were meant for short-term use and and but they're not a lot of doctors aren't using them for short term. They're using them for the long term. Right. And so a, a better approach would be, well, let's use them for the short term and then look at ways that we can overcome this back pain or do the uh, best way, whether it's with a, a surgery, which I recommend that should be your last option. And then uh, try the other options at first. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you had mentioned earlier, and I, I meant to ask and I didn't, um, but when you were saying how uh, GMOs can be problematic for some people and other people don't notice effects of them, what are some of the effects that people might notice? Well, uh, it's kind of hard nowadays just because uh, I think a lot of people are, are so used to inflammation. They're used to feeling bloated. They're used to feeling right. having uh, to take Tums or to take... Right. Uh, uh, these kind of things, but usually those are the first symptoms that you just you just really need to uh, pay attention to your body. And when it, when you feel bloated, and when you feel like you're there's you have stomach pain, there's there's something going in there. And then people let it to progress till it's irritable bowel syndrome or a Crohn's disease or all kinds of stuff instead of getting to it right away. Right. Uh, and then the other thing I think that is a, a, a huge factor is that all of these, uh, you know, the GMOs and the uh, all the things like glyphosate and all these things that are in our food, but also that are in our medicine in the pills affect our, our, our gut and our microbiome. And we have so many neurotransmitters in our, in our gut, right? And it's like a feedback loop to the brain. So I would imagine that it has a huge impact on our mental health. I mean, obviously our physiological health and our immunity, but certainly our psychological and mental well-being. Definitely. And I think that's the approach of functional medical doctors. They, they, they believe that you heal the mind through the gut because our neurotransmitters are made in the gut. There's right. not too many that's made in the brain. Most right. of them are made in the gut. So if we got a, a healthy gut, we're going to more likely they have a healthy brain. Sure. So I, I'm, I'm curious just hearing your, your outlook on, on all of this. It sounds almost like uh, you went into, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I want to hear your thoughts on this, but it almost sounds like you went into the field of psychology thinking you were going to be, you know, studying the psyche and healing people uh, through, you know, working with their psyche. Uh, but now it seems like you have this, uh, because you have a holistic approach that understanding that there's this feedback loop that it's almost working internally and that will affect the psyche. Well, how, how do you see it now versus when you first entered the field? Well, I, um, 
I don't think I understood your question. So please. Okay. Do you, do you feel like when you first entered the field of psychology that your focus was much more on, you know, the psyche and working with, uh, you know, people's emotions and how to heal them through, uh, you know, working with their traumas and their uh, coping mechanisms and, you know, more psychological, more traditional type of psychological uh, concerns and uh, practices versus now when you are, you, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you, you recognize that there is a, you know, while that's all still very valid, there's still, there's a much more holistic approach to what may be affecting somebody's uh, psyche. So do you feel like your perspective has changed since you first entered the field and in what ways? Okay, I don't think my perspective has changed all that much okay. in that, see, when I was in Tucson, I got exposed to some uh, integrative techniques and mm -hmm. I've just uh, been trying to get better and better at which techniques is, is really uh, effective and what right. conditions. I just, a lot of it's been a lot of uh, sort of like an uphill battle. Like I'll give you an instance. Um, yeah. um, there's this guy by the name of Jerry Winger, mm -hmm. and he was a special education teacher. And he showed that he could uh, take these special ed kids and raise their IQ by 23 points. That's huge. And he, and he did that, and he did it consistently. Wow. And, and uh, you'd think they'd give him a, a medal that he would be the touted everywhere. Yeah. Like, no, he really didn't do that, all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, there's other instances of that as well, of a huge increase in IQ. And um, uh, let's see. Um, but anyway, so I tried to see if I could replicate his, his stuff. So I got a, uh, uh, some kids that were in a, in a self-contained classroom because of their behaviors and stuff. And so I, uh, I, I did some of the techniques that Jerry Winger did. And in seven months, I got an IQ gain of 14 points. Wow. And then uh, some people at the university heard about that. So they wanted to do a study and they designed the study for it and everything. And it went to the IRB board and got denied. Well, under what grounds? Um, I don't know. They just said it was denied. But, but to me, that's how things work, how they keep things perpetuated to be the same. So it's sort of like you, you got this idea, you got these things, you got these techniques that work, but they don't get promoted. They, what gets promoted, what gets funded are the ones that don't go against the grain. Wow. So this is Jerry Winger. And this is like something people can just go look up. Is, is the information available? I don't think it's published anywhere. I just, I, I anything that I don't know if I, I, you can, I don't think you can uh, Google Jerry Winger. I, there's going to be some stuff on him because he uh, used to work, I think, in, in Washington or Oregon, some state like that. But, uh, but I talked to him personally and looked at his, uh, uh, the things that he was doing. Well, and I questioned how he did it. And, what were some of the techniques he was using? Well, uh, he used structure of intellect, which is uh, available. It's, uh, it's in, in just about every state. It's a, it's a remediation technique, which, of course, is going to be funded by an insurance company. Uh, 
And, but so he, but he didn't limit to that. He used other things. He used uh, sensory integration techniques uh, like balance and uh, eye movements types of stuff to, for the kids that needed it. And the, the first year I, I did that study, uh, I was able to increase their IQ by 14 points, but the first group, they were a lot more ADHD. They had uh, hyperactivity. Mm -hmm. So the second year that I did it, I uh, added a component called, uh, and all it was was like Dance Dance Revolution, and I had a lot more balance techniques, and I was able to get a another 14-point increase in IQ, but without the ADHD symptoms. That's amazing. That is amazing. Wow, it's really interesting talking about the balance stuff. So I, I don't know how much you know about my story, but I was born with uh, congenital rubella. So my mom had germ measles during first trimester pregnancy, and I was I'm I'm blind in one eye. I have bilateral hearing impairment. I actually didn't get hearing aids, so I was almost six. I learned how to speak by reading lips. And I had heart surgery when I was a year old. I was born with fine graft motor impairment, stunted growth, all sorts of complications. They told my mom the best she could hope was to find a nice institution for me to spend my life. Fortunately, my mom didn't agree. So, um, but I bring it up because when I was really little, you know, like maybe two, three years old, my mom had this idea uh, because I was visually impaired. I was wearing a patch over my sighted eye every other day of my childhood. I didn't have hearing aids yet. So I was essentially, you know, functionally blind and deaf every other day. And my mom had this idea of creating this balance beam that, I would walk on every day, whether I had the patch on or not. So whether I could see or not, and that I would, if I succeeded and completed the beam, they would make it narrower. <laughs> um, so that was my reward. I would get another challenge. And my grandfather built the beam. And I, you know, we did a lot of these types of things. I mean, I did, uh, you know, eye exercises for, I think it was something like two hours a day. Uh, where I would have a patch over my eye. One of the things I had to do was play light bright, which I, I, I to, to, to this day, I have this like love hate relationship with light bright. I think a few like years ago, I was in New York City and I saw, uh, you know, they had a huge light bright in, in one of these clubs and I started crying. I was very emotional. <laughs> you know, people thought I was crazy. Why is this girl crying about light bright? Um, but, you know, I spent hours trying, struggling to find a tiny hole, you know. And uh, when I could barely, barely see it. And, uh, you know, we did, I played, you know, I'd have like a block set that I would have to replicate pictures uh, with a patch over my eye. And, you know, as a kid, it was very, very frustrating to do all these things. Um, but I remember my mom had, she was a psychologist and she, you know, she would want a part of her schooling was, you know, she'd administer uh, the IQ test. And so she had, they had these blocks you know, it was part of the visual spatial component, I guess. And mm -hmm. I love them. Apparently I've like broke a record in the New Jersey state on, on the, you know, the blocks. And I think it's because I spent so much of my childhood doing a lot of these, you know, visual spatial exercises, essentially. Uh, you know, I, I have no idea how much of it would have naturally been there. My dad, you know, was very, uh, you know, he was very strong in that area as well. Uh, but I do think a lot of it, but I know that so much of it was just really enhanced my general functionality, you know, being able to in increase my kinesphere, be able to, you know, my proprioception, uh, you know, compensate for the lack of vestibular sense, 
And I think that people don't really, they, they're not aware of just how integrated all of this is, you know, for, for a child to be navigating the world and you know, without those senses at play is going to have a huge psychological impact. It's going to have a huge physiological impact. So to be able to have these techniques to enhance and to develop compensation, I think is, is so, yeah, it's, it's invaluable, <laughs> you know, at least I'm really grateful for it. So. And you're really lucky because most kids don't get that. No, they don't No, I was really, really lucky. Yeah. And, and the thing is that any increase you get in brain development, you affect their quality of life for the rest totally. of life. Yeah. So huge. I, I, that, that's what I'm saying. I think it was a huge increase in the quality of my life. And, you know, as frustrating as some of those exercises were, because they were, um, you know, it was also incredibly rewarding. You know, there was, a, I think it's why I, I, part of it may just be some of my personality, but I'm definitely somebody who really enjoys challenges. And I think it's because that, that, that it's, that's the dopamine, that's really what that dopamine uh, circuitry is about, right? So right. for me, it's that, I know I'm going to get that hit, right? <laughs> if I take on a really big challenge and that's a, you know, really uh, it's motivating for me. So I really love taking on challenges because I know that that's going to be incredibly rewarding. But I think that to, in today's world, a lot of children are not given that, that I think it's a gift, you know, but that opportunity to discover the value of, you know, taking on challenges and the value of, you know, for lack of, you know, a better way of putting it, you know, just really simply like doing hard things because, you know, sometimes doing really hard things is, uh, is incredibly empowering and it, it sets us up, I think, for a better quality of life. It sure does. Yeah. It makes us stronger in every way. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think that with, uh, it's one of the things I'm concerned with, with the future, because I think, People are being, you know, adults and children are being, but certainly children because they they haven't known what it was like. So they're being really geared towards everything is instant gratification. Anything that's difficult, they should shy away from. You know, they're they're coddled uh, to the extreme. Yeah, we want to make accommodations and not remediation. It's like the accommodation is a big word. We don't want that accommodation. We want remediation. We want to give them, remediate them so that they don't need accommodations. Yeah, that, that's such a great point. What are some ways that we can uh, remediate so that there's less need for accommodation? Well, I, I just wish that uh, structure of intellect was used in every school. And that way, because they not only do they have how you compare to kids your age or other your peers, but they also give you paper, pencil exercises to develop that skill into the normal range. So they, whatever you, you know, a lot of people look at intelligence as just one score. No, it's not one score, it's a collection of scores, collection of abilities. And there are certain abilities that are necessary to do well and succeed in school. Let's find out. And so that, that's what the SOI is all about is finding the 26 variables that are needed for school and then developing those uh, variables that are low and getting them. SLL? Yes, structure of intellect, SOI. SOI. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, by Robert and Mary Meeker. They're the ones that developed it and they used Guilford's research. Uh, but uh, Robert and Mary Meeker, but the 
You can look them up on the internet. It's just structure of intellect. And they also use, uh, now when they first started, they didn't use the sensory integration techniques, but now they do. And they're, they're, they use them very well to develop, you know, balance and eye movement and uh, depth perception and your uh, knowing where your body is in space and all those things that, especially with these uh, children that are neurocompromised, like kids on the autism spectrum or kids at uh, reactive attachment disorder that go through so much uh, pain because of their neural uh, sensitivities. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, in my opinion, it'd be great if every school had these kind of resources. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it would also be so great. I know there there's a uh, program it's called uh, the Neurohacker, um, and it's geared towards athletes. And it, because people don't really, uh, you know, I think people underestimate how, the power of like, you know, hand-eye coordination and the, uh, you know, visual uh, proprioceptive kind of uh, and vestibular, uh, in, you know, incorporations and how that can enhance performance, you know, athletic performance, whether it be, whether you need those things, uh, whether it appears that you need those things or not. Um, but it really, it, it increases the uh, neurological coordination and uh, perception. So, yeah, I think that, that any, any, any kid who's in any kind of sport, it should be used and it would, and they would then transfer to have benefits, I think, in their intellectual pursuits as well. So. In Mississippi, there's only one agency that has a developmental vision uh, and intervention assessment and, and uh, remediation. And that's a shame because, uh, you know, a lot of kids in the classroom, they're going to have developmental vision problems. They're not, their eyes aren't going to uh, align like they should and stuff. And, and, and when I was in Utah, they had a developmental optometrist that worked nothing with, uh, but with athletes and worked on uh, their skills through their visual eye, eye move, hand movements and stuff like that, coordination. That's very cool. Wow. Yeah. So why do you think it is that they don't incorporate more of these things? Or why, like, why did they reject, uh, I'm sorry, I blanked on his name. Oh, Jerry Winger. Why, like, why would they reject his work? I mean, that's, it, it would benefit so many people. It's all who controls the funding. That's where, that's where, in my, in my opinion, that's where the blame lies. They're just not interested in, in children being smart and super kids and things like that. Right. That's so sad. So sad. <laughs> so what, how, how would you advise parents to kind of opt out of the system then, right? Because I think that's a lot of the problem. They're being well, dumbed down and indoctrinated and controlled and geared towards things that are uh, de degrading their health versus improving. I think that anything they could do to educate themselves like on functional medicine, mm -hmm. also on alternative techniques and to learn about what Carnegie and the Rockefellers did to medicine and education and, uh, and uh, ask themselves, well, why did they do that? And then what can I as a parent do for my family? That's where it comes. That's where the rubber meets the road. There are some things I can do right. to get my family to be more functional and, and, and more successful. Even though our environment is getting worse and worse, we can still function well. We can. If we I do the things yeah. that will bring that up to, to pass. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And inspire everyone to empower themselves. That, that, that's what I aim to do. Inform, inspire, and empower. So, And the need that your program is uh, showing people that there are, these things exist, that they're out yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. No, hopefully, hopefully people find it and use it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been awesome. Do you have anything else you want to add and impart? I think that covers it for now. I'll okay. probably close. Great. I'll think of several more things I should have said. So. Always. Well, we, we can revisit for sure. So yeah, we'll tell everybody where they can find you and whatever else you want to leave us. Okay. With. So I have a website called, uh, your Family Clinic, and it is www.yourfamilyclinic.com. Mm-hmm. And I've got a whole section on neural development. I spent some time uh, just writing te- uh, techniques for different problems, whether it's reading, math, or, and we have a, uh, an app that's coming out that is uh, it's in its testing mode right now, but it'll uh, develop sequential memory. So it's something that they can do. Yay! I need that. <laughs> And then I, uh, we have another app that's in development on, uh, on uh, self-monitoring, so to help increase uh, children's ability to stay with their homework and complete their homework. Awesome. I love it. I love that's it. That's all at yourfamilyclinic.com. And I have some YouTube videos on the Your Family Clinic uh, uh, YouTube uh, channel. Okay, great. I will post all the links. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.